Welcome to Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. Show Me the Money is a podcast that is bringing in industry leaders in the commercial real estate sector that are either on the financing side, the development side, the acquisition side, disposition, brokers, investors, bankers, management companies, everyone that's in and out of the the business and all um, facets of the trade so that hopefully you can benefit if you're looking to grow your business, start your business, or maybe transition into something else. On this episode of Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk, we're going to have Mr. Mark Silver on here that runs Bold Capital and Sunday Capital Partners. Uh, Mark has got a very significant resume with all different facets of real estate, whether it be brokerage on the leasing side or investment sales side, working on projects all over the United States. Mark has been very successful. I hope you really enjoy this episode. Mark's a great person and very knowledgeable in the space. Today's episode has been sponsored by Willow Glen Insurance. Leighton Peterson and his team has been excellent on all different types of commercial real estate insurance across the United States, has never let us down, and I highly recommend using him and his team. Again, Leighton, thank you for sponsoring the episode, and we hope that a lot of our viewers will utilize your services in the future. If you want more information on Willow Glen Insurance, please look at the show notes and you'll find the information there. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the eighth episode of Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Mark Silver. Mark, thank you for coming today. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, I've known Mark for many years now. We've done business together and um, his resume, which I'm going to get into right now, is very impressive. Mark is the co-founder and chief investment officer of Bold Partners, where he is responsible for the financial analysis, underwriting, capital acquisition, and liquidation plans for the group. He is also the co-founder and chief investment officer of Sunday Capital, a transitional lending specialist originating first lien asset-backed loans for acquisitions, recapitalizations, and value-add programs. Previously, Mark was director at Blackstone, where he worked with their placement business that raised in excess of $220 billion for 154 private equity hedge funds and real estate funds. Mark was also a senior project manager on the team responsible for sourcing, analyzing, and running client relationships. In addition, prior to joining Blackstone, he was a senior analyst at Morgan Joseph, Triartisan Group, and HSBC, focusing on private placements and convertible securities. Mark also worked in the Industrials Group, where he focused on raising pools of equity for management teams. Mark received a BBA in finance and accounting from Guizetta Business School at Emory University. Mark, again, thank you for being here. It's a very impressive resume. Thank you. And uh, it's been a long road. It has been a long. It sounds road. longer on paper than I, I think. Well, given I'm how young, given how young you are too, <laughs> it's uh, it's extremely impressive. Thank you. So, um, very proud of your success, and I'm happy to share this with uh, our audience today. I think you're really in for a treat. Um, so, Mark, last year, what did it look like as far as investing in multifamily? And I know that you have a fund called Bold Capital that is primarily used for investing in multifamily assets. What did that look like and what does it look like today and where maybe in the next six months, if you can kind of break that out a little bit? Absolutely. It's been interesting environment, to tell you the truth. I've been through a few cycles, even though I'm young in my career. I remember when I first got into finance, it was 2008 and we hit the recession. And this is the first cycle I feel like we're back to that type of environment. And it's really interesting because I actually feel like I'm living at this time. 
because when I was previously in that environment, I didn't feel like I fully understood what was happening. And so last year, if I had to say one word about it, it's slow. Things are slow right now. Yes. If you look at our acquisition history, we usually do somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 30 tr transactions a year. Wow. Last year, we did zero on wow. the equity side of the business, Whoa. which is very unusual for what we do. <laughs> and it was hard, actually, to kind of temper our expectations. And I think the thing that was leading it, and Michael, you know better than anyone, is the debt market changed dramatically. Yes. And when the interest rate environment started their hiking cycle, the Fed started their hiking cycle in Q1 of last year, I think what caught us by surprise was the speed of it. We knew rates were going to increase, and we thought that we we're going to get to this level. But if you asked me last year when that would have happened, I would have said three to five years, certainly not in 12 months. Right. And that escalation of rates made it very challenging for buying properties. And I think the hallmark of that was that owners and buyers uh, weren't on the same page. Owners want these low cap rates still, and right. I think you were seeing that last year. We were now looking at this new rate environment saying, oh, it's hard to buy a three cap, it's hard to buy a four cap right now, how do we do that, yeah. and how do we finance it? And so slow would be my word of the year for 2022 right. and starting of this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Same thing on our side, the transaction volume from Marcus Millichap as a whole, our team is down, you know, at least 50 to 60% across the board, at least, depending on the market and whatnot. Multifamily obviously has been the darling for investment for people. Industrial has been a darling, but office and retail and different, you know, sectors, depending on where it is, has had its, you know, trials and tribulations here that has been challenging. But, you know, with, with your experience and your background and everything, I mean, to be able to see this and to slow down at the pace that you are moving is incredible. You know, that's like six gear down to park in it's, a matter of minutes because obviously the Fed steps in, they change the market overnight. So you immediately need to pivot and change your business plan. You know, it's got to be hard for someone as aggressive as you and successful as you and your market share and economies of scale and management to be able to slow down. So that's, it's amazing how you have that discipline. And a lot of people you see in the business keep moving through cycles, whether it's in their best interest or if they have investors in their best interest. So to be able to do that, Mark, is, is very impressive. So it's, We appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think one thing I keep hearing, Michael, in the market is distressed is coming. And someone who's living the market, I can tell you that we're not seeing a lot of distressed opportunities right, right now. No. And I think the expectation was when we slowed down, we're slowing down, but can't wait for the next six to 12 months because we're going to see this amazing opportunity of deal flow that we haven't seen since 08. Right. And I can tell you if someone who's living the market, while cap rates have adjusted, where I don't think the normal is a sub three cap anymore, right. I, I think most markets are at least in the four and a half range, um, those amazing deals have not happened yet. And right. I don't know, and I, this is something we talk about a lot among our investor group and my partners, are we going to see a real distress cycle that mirror images what happened in 08 or 09? And I say no. I don't think that's going to happen. Now, there are asset classes, and anyone can pick up the Wall Street Journal or the real deal and say office is bad or this is bad. Yeah. And I think there are distress opportunities there. But I think this cycle is going to act differently than what we saw in 08, 09. And being patient isn't going to get you deals. And so one thing we're actively thinking through right now as we look towards more acquisitions and what we're doing in the market is what is the new environment? What are we willing to do from a cap rate perspective? Because that's what's really driving our investment decisions. And are we, we being thoughtful of, is this actually what we're seeing today true? I think we talked about this before we got on this podcast. I said, when you're looking at markets right now, is it a true X cap? 
And what I mean by that is if it was three cap 12 months ago and now it's a five cap, that doesn't mean that five cap's real. So we're very sensitive right. to actually what's happening in the market environment. Yeah. And I think the cap rates right now are a snapshot in time. If you can't quantify, if you have to put bridge debt on there, which obviously you have the great experience there, but if you can't quantify and understand where debt is for the long term, now you have the variable of the debt and now you have the variable of the fundamentals and economics of the real estate. Mm -hmm. With two of those things in flux, you're really playing with fire. So mm -hmm. that's the hardest thing. So I think once the Fed comes out this year and says, okay, we're going to be at least pausing mm -hmm. or talking about pausing, I think that's going to really help people put you know, the ink and the pen to the paper to be able to underwrite the foreseeable future. Because right now you're just kind of underwriting into an abyss, which is not is not very good, but you could be a hero as there is no buyers. And if there is a real sell at the table, you can come and capitalize on that opportunity. Absolutely. So um, I agree with you. What? So as far as, you know, real estate across the country, what, what markets are you focusing on or which ones are you kind of shying away from? Yeah. Um, so we, we're trying to take a more holistic strategy in what we're doing right now. We come from New York. That's where we started our careers. That's where we started buying real estate. We moved out west for a variety of reasons over the last five, six years. And now we're looking at core urban markets. I think one of the things that we keep hearing is there's a flight from blue states to red states. We're in a blue state right now in California, right. um, which we love California. But there's been a real push to look at markets that are easier to operate in, have a um, migration flow that is positive and that there's a real dynamic between the supply and demand that's interesting. And I think one of the things we've been looking for and that fits those parameters are, are likely south, and it's usually in the Sunbelt and southeast. We like those markets a lot. Um, we're not shying away from our core urban markets that we've historically mm -hmm. done it, sure. but I think you'll see in the next 12 to 24 months, at least us from the equity side being in those Sunbelt markets that I think have some interesting dynamics and aren't gonna be hurt by the new supply coming along on some of the markets that that have seen a tremendous growth, both from a demand perspective, but are starting to see a tremendous growth on the supply side as well. Right. No, I couldn't agree more. And the other factor too, as far as the employment goes, and I think the younger generation of people primarily want to be in you know, the warmer climate and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing that too, that kind of factors in as far as unemployment. And we talk about this job creation and all these different factors that come out and all this government data. But you know, the jobs reports are usually three or four months old, so it's a lagging indicator of what's really going on. So the question is, you know, how much can rents be pushed? Um, is there an increased supply in certain markets like we talked about, I think, before getting mm -hmm. on the show and talking about, you know, like Phoenix and different areas, they're going to have a huge surplus. People are like, oh, it's just class A, like we were talking about, mm -hmm. but it's not because now these tenants that are in C units can go into B units and B units can go into A units as far as multifamily goes. And that's going to have an factor all the way across the board. Absolutely. It's, it goes to my comment when I said earlier, are you buying a true X cap? And when I, what I meant by that is when you have these new supply factors coming online, really for the first time since COVID, COVID added an interesting variable that normally these markets can digest demand and produce new supply in quick order. Um, especially markets like Arizona. And what happened because of COVID is the demand sped up way faster than the supply could catch up. And the supply is just hitting now. 
And so one of the things we're really focused on when we're looking at new markets is true cap rates. Do we think vacancy is going to increase? Do we think the rents that have been growing for the last 12, 24, 36 months are sustainable, or are they going to actually go the other way? And I think we have to be pretty cautious, and I, I would tell all your listeners to be very cautious when looking at deals. I know we were out in Arizona a couple weeks ago, and we were meeting with some brokers, and on their marketing package, we had a cap rate that said five and a half. And I was telling my team, this is great. I'd love to buy a five and a half cap. And we get there and it turned out it wasn't a five and a half cap and all it was projected and there was a few other right. scenarios. And I, that's, I think you just need to be careful on what you're actually buying and numbers don't lie. And I think you really need to be conservative in your underwriting, at least at the moment. I completely agree. And we see our team works on a lot of packages from all different investment brokers at Marcus Millichap and other firms as well. And you know, looking at forecasted numbers, you have to be so careful. I mean, the price of debt today between five and six percent. You can underwrite those deals, but if you don't have the real underwriting, the real fundamentals, or it takes an extra couple million dollars, the brokers forget to put that couple million dollars into the package on the price. So that five and a half becomes four eighty, four seventy. Your price of capital is at five five to six percent. Your cap rate should always be higher than the price of your money. So for new people in real estate, that's a positive leverage return. Other people that buy deals where cap rates are below the interest rate is negative leverage and is kind of a recipe for disaster unless you don't, unless you can have some big economic event where you can get your um, cap rate higher. That's your rate of return on the asset. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see obviously what happens, and. Maybe a little bit talk about, Mark, about your experience at Sunday and how it impacts your decisions at Bold. Mm -hmm. How do those kind of correlate? So you have the lending side here at Sunday Capital, mm -hmm. which, you know, our team's been very beneficial to work mm -hmm. with you and your team that are just top-notch individuals as far as the private sector doing bridge financing. And if people think interest rates are going to be stabilizing or coming down, it's good to put bridge debt on there, interest only, non-recourse, no prepayment penalties or small prepays help bridge these deals to more of a normal time. So how does that impact doing those deals um, into bold? Yeah, it's a great question. And just some background for your listeners. We started as um, equity investors and equity operators and actually actual brokers. We, we did a lot of leasing in New York City. And over the last couple of years, one thing we realized was when we were buying deals and getting loans that the, the loan market, uh, at least for what we did as operators that buy a bunch of deals, tend to do deals that are sub $30 million. Um, that market was kind of barren for a lender that kind of understood our business plan and was willing to work with us. And instead of getting frustrated, I know that we had a few deals in the pipeline where we got a, a little upset about how our lenders were treating us. <laughs> I looked at my partner and said, instead of getting mad, let's start our own platform. And so when I said we're slow on the equity side, we've been tremendously busy on the debt side. And I think a lot of the factors you're seeing um, play out in the news right now between the regional banks and higher interest rates and people doing business plans that are taking longer, it's been yes. a real fit for Sunday. And so it, the, the, what's great about our business is we think like op operators, we act like operators. And so when we give someone a loan, we take that hat on and we try to treat them just like we would want to be treated. Right. And our business has been able to grow at Sunday because we can look at deals on a one-off basis, 
not treat every deal the same, actually think like an equity operator would, which is kind of what we were striving for in, in our equity business, and really be able to be thoughtful with our approach. And I, th- I think it makes us better operators on the equity side, but it, I think it certainly makes us be- better lenders. And so we've been able to take advantage of this dislocation the last 12 months yep. and really put out some interesting paper. Oh, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. So Mark's experience and his partner to be able to give that kind of education to someone looking to borrow money on a botched business plan and saying, hey, you shouldn't do it. Most lenders are just going to come in and say it doesn't work or it does work or whatever. But lenders typically don't have you know, the experience of owning and operating real estate, whereas Mark and his team does. That's what's so rare about what you're doing to help people on the lending side too. And it's priceless. And our clients have benefited from that. And we've also been on calls with you too mm-hmm. where you know, they're going through and all of a sudden the business plan doesn't work. Not all business plans are bulletproof, no matter how smart people are. You know, if you want to be a pioneer in these markets and start going in there and saying this is what's going to happen and whatnot, you know, Mark and his team get on and say, well, did you think about this? Did you think about that? There's so many factors and variables. Well, and it's, you know, he's not saying it from, you know, this high perched up seat. He's saying it from experience, from boots on the ground, actually doing this and actually having experience on different deals of, you know, relocating tenants or ADUs or anything like that, that can actually have a huge impact on the future of that success of that real estate or that client you know, being able to execute that business plan. So we tell I, a lot of operators that we're, we're so thankful when people like Michael are involved. We want mortgage brokers involved. I think it brings a level of execution and transparency and institutionality to a space that desperately needs it. And so when we can work with groups like Michael and have those honest conversations, we really view it as a partnership. Um, that's how these transactions should work. And that's why Sunday was created. And if you can't be honest with your lender right. and you can't be honest with your mortgage broker, right. um, it tends to lead to transactions that don't work out. And we don't want that from a lending standpoint. You don't want that right. as a mortgage broker. No way. Uh, we don't want that. So we want to see everyone successful. And so I think that honesty and transparency that I was striving for We've been trying to deal that with at Sunday, and we've also been trying to work with wonderful brokers like Michael that can bring that extra institutionality to a process that, that really needs it. Right. No, thanks, Mark. And the transparency is, is critical. As soon as that breaks down, and I see it happen so many times where clients are working directly with their own lending relationship and there is no communication. That's why it's critical. I think intermediaries all over the country, you know, not just saying myself, but other groups across the country to work closely is effectively like we're like effectively your attorney in a courtroom Mm -hmm. to make sure they're getting the point across and make sure there's proper representation, make sure everything's out there on the table and nothing's missed. The last thing you want is at the 11th hour, oh, by the way, you know, here's this comes up that could botch the deal, seller, buyer, legal issues. That's the last thing you ever want to do. But, um, you know, it's, yeah, I completely agree with you. So what about talking about some some highs and and more importantly, I mean, you, you talked about the success and obviously, Money has shifted from bold into Sunday now and probably will shift again as the market starts to transition and interest rates stabilize and settle down. But maybe if you can talk about, you know, everyone talks about the success, but the one part of the show that I love talking about is I like to hear, not that, not that I'm, I'm thriving on it, but I want the listeners to hear about the failures. Mm-hmm. You know, you got knocked down, this is what happened, but this is how you're able to get back up even stronger. Absolutely. So, there's been a lot. <laughs> if anyone as a real estate operator and anyone who's done real estate, it is not a straight line up. That's just not how real estate works. There's ups and downs and it's hard. 
doing real estate is hard, and especially the volume that we do it. We've bought hundreds of buildings in our career, and over the last four to five years, we've bought over 100 buildings in California. Operating those deals is tough. And That's if amazing. I had to just say, like, what's been really tough um, is construction. And when we look at, if I had to look at our operating history of where things could have gone better, I would say construction. And there's a variety of reasons behind it. And some of what happened in COVID really did not help. When you read those headlines of it's hard to get materials, it's hard to get workers, it's hard to bid out projects. We lived that. It, it was. I can, yeah. I can check the box on every yeah. single one of those. It was hard finding materials. It was hard finding workers. It was hard finding good contractors. And that's, if I honestly, that was Prior to COVID, it was hard, and post-COVID, it's even harder. And a lot of, um, from an operating standpoint, if we could have done the construction quicker, if we could have spent less money, if we could have got the same product, um, my projects probably would have been even better. Sure. Um, so there's been a few projects in the last couple of years that really got hurt on this construction stuff. And um, if I can tell operators, it happens. Every project's different. Um, and there's situations that happen that aren't perfect. And if I could give them any advice, I'd say you have to work through it. You have to be transparent and honest, not only with yourself, but the people that are involved in the project. And usually there's a better result that ends with it. Um, but construction's been tough. And I think it's something that we've worked through. And I, I see it getting better already, um, okay. which is great. But it's it's something that has been a low probably in the last couple of years for us. Got it. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's good to know. Do you think it's even, you know, I don't know if this environment or any environment, is it even worth it to do the construction or should you be the second or third guy in to go ahead and pick up the pieces after a lot of developers have, you know, it's, it's feast or famine, right? Over their careers. And some of our biggest clients say, you know what, I thought developer and you learn in school at all these different institutions and you come out, the sexy part of the real estate is the development side. And that's where the, you know, boom and bust goes. But in reality, sometimes it's a second or third guy after mm -hmm. that, um, that can come in and capitalize on that opportunity. And maybe if you can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. Um, allocation of resources and time is huge. And one thing we've learned in our careers, doing a 10-unit building or a 300-unit building is basically the same time and allocation of resources. Right. And when you were talking about Lowe's, it, it actually makes me think of a project that we had this exact thought process on. My partner loved a deal in West Adams, which is an area in LA that has been developed and gentrifying over right the last- USC right by USC yeah. over the last five to 10 years. My partner fell in love with a historic building that was vacant. And he really fell in love with it because there was a Game of Thrones tree on the property, <laughs> which was just like the best tree we've ever seen. It was wow. like 15 feet in diameter and it was just like amazing. And my partner looked at me and said, we're buying this building because of this tree. Because of the tree. And I said, okay, this is probably a solid investment <laughs> thesis. Um, and we That's did the funny. property and went through the plans and realized exactly what you were saying that the allocation of our resources, it was a four unit building. Uh, was not a great use of resources, right. even though we thought it was going to be this grand project with this awesome tree in the center of the project. <laughs> and instead of doing a project that would have been the same allocation of time of doing a 100 to 200 unit building, right. we said, listen, let's sell it. We, I think we lost a little bit of money. It might have been one of the first times in our career we actually lost money. But okay. for exactly what you said, Michael, okay. we only have so many time and resources and allocation of those is so important as much as we love the building and as much as we love the tree. We, we kind of said, you know what, there's better things to do. So I think you really have to internalize 
and look in the mirror sometimes and say, right. what's on my plate and what's the best allocation of resources? We do that a lot. It's one of the things we've learned a lot that you really need to plan ahead and make sure that your resources are being used in the best ways possible. Right. And so we, I couldn't agree more with that point. Yeah. And that's where sometimes where like the tree adds to emotion, right? So if you make emotional decisions on an investment piece of real estate, not so much on the residential side, but on the investment real estate side, try and removing emotion from that. The numbers don't lie like you talked about, right? Look at the facts, make a good informed decision based on the data you have. And I think you'll have a way better outcome. But we all, you know, it's like yep. removing, we're, we're humans, right? So totally. emotion is part of our lives, but applying that with commercial and investment real estate could, um, you know, could hurt us on, on certain business aspects. If I dealings. could tell your listeners one thing, one thing we've learned. So one of the things we started doing when we got into the business is we try to buy the oldest real estate possible. I think we were talking about this earlier. We, we call it the pre-war buildings in New York City. Yes. And we call it luxury walk-ups everywhere else. But we were our some of our business plans were predicated on buying really old product that we thought had the most juice and really do a business plan. And we realized that was really hard because right. these buildings, guess what? Their systems were 100 years old. So right. the electrical was 100 years old. The plumbing was right. 100 years old. They didn't have HVAC because 100 years ago, they didn't have AC. <sighs> And one thing we've learned over the last couple of years is that it's easier maybe to achieve our value at business plans when we buy younger product. It has similar dynamics to what we're seeing in these old buildings. Maybe it doesn't have the same juice, but getting there is a lot easier. So right. over the last couple of years, when I said construction's hard, and especially after COVID, we've really focused on 1980s and, and younger. Got and it. it's a similar business plan. Um, the construction's way easier because the systems are way newer. Right. And we can do exactly what you're saying where we can do these turns. I think some of your clients probably have said the same thing yeah. where you're doing kind of the same business plan, but instead of having a 10 degree of difficulty, it's a one or two. And that's something we've shifted dramatically over the last couple of years to do. Yes. And just getting the labor force to work on a building in the 1800s. I mean, there's a lot of people that probably don't even know like how to work on those systems and whatnot. So it's not a plug and play newer property. And I think it's it's a heck of a coincidence too. It's not a coincidence that the life insurance companies that mm -hmm. do a lot of financing as well, they only want newer property mm -hmm. usually within the last 10 or 20 years built. And even sometimes we showed them deals that was 30 years old, even though it was an immaculate property, especially in Los Angeles, they're, they're you know putting their nose up in the air like, wow, that's a really old asset. And we're like, well, that's like the newest thing we worked on all year. But mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's amazing then the newer property. And I remember starting off in my career, someone was like, you know the way the reason why new real estate is so expensive, and I was like, uh, because it's new. They're like, no, because it's worth it. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. sit there and fix someone else's exactly. problems. There's no skeletons in the closet. Obviously, things can happen, but you know, you avoid all those variables and the cost of repairs that mm -hmm. add up exponentially. And um, you know, not spending all that money focusing on revenue mm -hmm. rather than focusing on your expenses for newer property is probably a better adage. And obviously there's been so many sticks coming out of the ground mm -hmm. in all the major metros across the country today um, that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. We're seeing tons of development happening. So, you know, they're gonna do well for the long run. Short term, obviously there'll be bumps and bruises because of the, you know, interest rates and whatnot that factors into the value of the overall real estate. But it'll be interesting to see kind of how this all uh, how this all shakes out. Maybe Mark, if you could just touch on um, if someone was going into real estate today what would you advise, say, someone looking to start in? I mean, what, like, what aspect would you recommend they to get into, and what do you think they could be most successful in, or what things to watch out for? I think it's a really good question. And as someone who is first generation real estate, so my parents weren't in real estate, 
uh, I didn't learn real estate at school. I, I didn't get a degree in, in real estate. We kind of just did it. If I had to give one piece of advice to people that are trying to get into the space, the one thing we say is just do it. So I cannot tell you how many people ask us, how'd you get involved? How'd you buy these buildings? How did you start lending? And I look at them and said, we just did one. And it's a big leap of faith of just doing your first one. Right. But if you can do it, you learn a lot. Yes. You actually see if you actually are passionate about it, if you're actually good at it, you actually mm -hmm. can build an investor base. Oh yeah. And if you just do one, that's a big step. And I know a lot of people that talk and very few that actually do the walk. You're 100% and it's, right. it's scary. So we, we did this in New York. We did our first building. It was right out of school. I, we didn't know what we were doing. We were calling grandma and Uncle Tim <laughs> and our friends to raise the money. Wow. Somehow we did it. And if we didn't do it, I would not be sitting here today. And I give credit to my business partner, who was the one pushing, yes. we're going to buy a multifamily building. And I looked at him and said, how do we do that? And he's like, we'll figure it out. And looking how back, cool that was that? terrifying. But it's the same thing when we got to the West Coast. We hadn't bought a property. One of our buddies said, you should be out West. We said... I don't know how to do that. And we bought our first building and we're hundreds of buildings later. And that's the one piece of advice I could give you. And if any of your listeners want to chat with me and talk about it, like, that's great. Just do it. Thank you. That's, that's awesome. That's uh, that's a really cool story. And not many people can talk that, but a lot of people do talk the talk and people don't walk the walk. And that's the hardest thing is just doing it. You know, it's but really you got, hard. You got to get uncomfortable, right? That's where the growth starts is the, at the end of the comfort, at the end of your, um, comfort zone, right? That's how, that's how you grow as an individual and especially as in real estate as well. So, um, that's huge. That's yeah. a really cool story. Um, maybe to kind of, uh, wrap things up here, what goals do you have for Sunday and bold over the next six to 12 months for both facets? It's amazing that you obviously have both things or huge businesses for one individual to handle. You have both things. So, what do you foresee for Sunday and Bold over the next six to 12 months? Yeah, I would imagine that the equity side of the business is going to be relatively slow. Uh, we are always looking to buy uh, if we can. Um, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And I think this is a market environment that is a little bit more challenging for a variety of reasons. We, a couple months ago, had a uptick in activity because there was a law that got passed in the city of LA, which was called ULA which increased the transfer tax when you sell properties uh, between right. five and $10 million. Yes. So zero to five didn't have a tax, five to 10 had X tax and 10 over. And so we saw a bunch of people that sold because of that tax, right. which was a unique situation. But I think it's gonna be probably slow, just like we've seen at the beginning of the year. And a lot of our activity, I think over the next 12 months is gonna be on the lending side. So our goal over the next 12 months is to put out about a half a billion dollars on the lending side. Wow. I think we're on pace to do so. Okay. And one of the main reasons we're able to do that is we're fitting that need that I talked about earlier, where these normal traditional lending sources are going away right. because of what's happened, not only with the regional bank crisis, but also what's what's going on with leverage and other things. And we're filling a real need for operators that need transitional debt to get them through this tough period. And so we're seeing a ton of activity um, there's a lot of people that use banks like First Republic that, and for years as, as, right. as you have, Michael. Yes. Um, and so I think the next 12 months is going to be probably mostly on the lending side where mm -hmm. opportunistic on the equity side. And I also think we're going to be able to find those opportunistic, um, deals where things are starting to crack mostly because of the debt market, sure. um, where we may be able to capitalize. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right on point. That's excellent. And to be able to have the lending side, to be able to 
you know, kind of look under the table, for instance, right there and, and kind of look at all the operations of everything and all these different markets. And you're doing deals all over the country too, yeah. which, which is amazing. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, deals in Atlanta and North Carolina and New York and whatnot. So, you know, it's, it's amazing too, to be able to just learn one market and one product type, but you're looking at all different product types in all different markets across the country. Yeah. The lending side has been a exercise for us in education and it's been education on markets and it's been an education on asset classes. We were chatting before this podcast and I was telling Michael some of the uh, different asset classes we were looking at between car washes and horizontal land loans right. and parking lots and a few other things. And those are traditional, traditionally asset classes we wouldn't buy on the equity side. But on the lending side, it's really fascinating. There's so many operators in the United States that have unique business plans that really are unlocking value in different ways. Right. And the fact that we can take our equity hats on and really look at that from their perspective, yes. it makes a ton of sense. And we're trying to fill the gap where most traditional lenders aren't. So one of the things Michael and I were actually talking about uh, before this podcast was horizontal land. We do a lot of it. And for your listeners, Michael, horizontal land is when you have unentitled land that is getting zoned and getting prepped to do vertical building. Yes. And one of the big things that people are doing across the country right now is building these single family home communities. Mm -hmm. And there's a space in the market, at least on the financing side, where most banks don't lend on right. land. Yeah. And a lot of people need the 12 to 24 months to do the horizontal portion, which is if you think of the nuts and bolts of how everything works, you need utilities and roads right. and other things to build these yes. communities. And so we're coming in there, financing that portion where most people don't. And then we have a takeout where there's a plethora of financing uh, folks that will be happy to do the vertical on single family homes. So that's yeah. been an interesting trade that we've been seeing over the last six to 12 months. I think it's gonna continue. And it's just something we've been filling the gap where most traditional lending sources don't. Right, and that's a great niche. And that's the key too, is finding just in any business, especially real estate is finding a niche, which Mark, that's excellent. You found that niche to find that void, but the key is, is finding a niche, being very good at it, and just mastering it. But in the same respect, the exit is there. So that's the key with real estate is having sometimes not one exit strategy, but two or three exit strategies to get your lender and to make sure your business plan is going to be successful. If you just have one and it's not a sure exit, your lending could go away and your business plan could be flawed. So that's huge. With all those institutions that are set there to take you out mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's how you get comfortable. If they weren't there, obviously, it all comes Absolutely. You know, and, and to your point, Michael, the exit is there not only between normal banks that will finance vertical construction for single-family homes, but there's a big platform of institutional folks that are doing what we call BTR, built to rent where they need these homes for their strategy. I believe the statistic, and I could be a little off, is $60 billion is still left to be deployed in that space. And so we're seeing a bunch of home builders yeah, that you would think normally would be slow in this environment because rates have gone up so much, right. but they're continuing, continuing to build in areas like Florida and Georgia and Texas because they have this takeout, which is this BTR trade, where they need these single family homes to do their platform. So it's right. been really fascinating. Yeah, no, it's excellent. And they're taking them out of the, the stock for sale for any private investor forever. And it's become a rental property, you know, because they see the value there. So again, there's all different facets of real estate, all different ways to learn from this. And, you know, having Mark on the show today has been a, truly an honor. So um, thank you for sharing all your experience on from both Bold and Sunday Wise. So 
please reach out to me or Mark if you have any questions to follow up on the show. Um, Mark, thanks again. Thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man running thanks two for big companies. And- Do we have to say, show me the money now? Is that how it works? <laughs> I, we didn't yeah. say it at all during, yeah, that, we during didn't our say conversation. It. Exactly. Yeah. But thank you, Mark. I thanks really appreciate your time. Thank you, everyone. Hopefully, you definitely benefited from this. Um, I always learn something from a guest each time. So thank you for your time today and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.